two from the commentary box, where I'm going to be joined with stars talking about the highs and the lows of their professional career and the chance for you to get to meet the people behind the medals. Now, today I'm joined with Ellie Rose Griffiths. Now, Ellie was a GB national tennis player. She played with the likes of Emma Raducanu, was coached by Judy Murray, and even was ranked number one in GB. So, Ellie, how are you doing? I'm very good. I'm excited to join you. Oh, thanks. So, Ellie, take us back. Day one with a tennis racket in your hand. Well, um, my first memory of playing tennis was actually that my brother and sister played, played a lot of tennis. And um, I always went along and they, and they were training and I always went along to play with them. And I was going to my sister's tournament because she competed a little bit. And I remember having a racket in my hand and... I ran up to my mum and I was like, can I play this tournament? And she was like, no, Ellie, like, you don't play tennis. <laughs> you know, like, I'd never, you know, I'd never really played. Um, and one of the girls actually dropped out of the tournament. And so I ran up to the, um, like, referee uh, organising the tournament. And I was like, can I play? <laughs> it must have been about seven. And um, he was like, yeah, sure. My mum was like, she can't play. Like, um and I ended up winning the tournament. And that's my first memory <laughs> of tennis. So, yeah, that's how I got into it. Did you have to play against your sister? No. No? No. I think <laughs> she'd have been fuming if I'd had to play against her. But, yeah, no, I didn't have to play against her. But, yeah, that was my first memory of tennis. So you started at seven. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of sports nowadays where it's like people start at, like, four or, like, gymnastics. They start them really, really young. Yeah. Was that? the kind of normal time to start? A little bit early, late? Yeah, so I was actually quite late. I remember um, I, I, w I kind of went through the ranks quite quickly because I, I started playing, I think I, I got picked for GB when I was under 10 and obviously I only started when I was seven. So I was quite old to it really. And I remember feeling so out of my comfort zone because everyone had been doing it since they were like four. And I was obviously late to the game. Yeah. How did you find that with kind of being in school? Because I know you didn't, your schooling and your education was a little bit different to most. Mm. Yeah, so I, I didn't actually, so when I was 10, so I got spotted by Judy Murray and then I started going to these national training camps in London and when I was 10, I stopped going to school and I put everything into tennis, literally um, was homeschooled from 10 till... 17 um and yeah I just there was a, a club that I played at and all the tennis players there all had private education um and, and yeah I didn't go to school from 10. How were you spotted by Julie Murray? So my coach from Sutton Coalfield Chris Johnson he um he had coached quite a few good players, but when he had a good player, he'd always ring up Judy and say, I've got someone for you. And I remember he, he called Judy and he said, like, can you give this girl a go? And that's when I went to a national camp and I saw, you know, the likes of, of players that had been doing it since they were four and they were so used to this, like, national training, you know, five days away from home at, like, nine years old. Um... And, and then I obviously came along, Judy was coaching it, and she was like, yeah, she's good. And then I got picked to play for GB. I think, I play, I think we played against Belgium or something um, when I was under 10. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Kind of, if you think about starting a sport when you're seven and your life completely changing for that sport when you're 10, mm. 
it's not a lot of time, especially like when mm. you're a kid. How did you kind of cope with that pressure or did it just become the norm? Yeah, I think it became the norm because I didn't know any different. So mm. I think because I just kind of, this was going to be my life now, it was never like a, yeah, I never sat down and thought like, am I going to leave school or am I not? Like that just became my life. Um, so I think I probably didn't feel the pressure because I was so kind of old to the game and there were already these names that were big at that age. Um, I didn't feel the pressure and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I kind of rose the ranks quite quickly was because I didn't have that pressure. And then I think when I got to a stage where I was one of the best in the country, I think that's when I did feel a bit of the pressure. And when you're 10, you're still, what's that, like year four? Like you've still got a couple of years of primary school left. Yeah. How did you find like leaving primary school? Because surely you would have kind of like developed your friendship group there. Yeah, Was I that did. Tough? I, I, I had a friendship group at school. And then as I became better at tennis, I started leaving school for like, I'd, I'd miss games or something that wasn't as essential to be there to go and play tennis. And I think as I started to do that, I lost those friendship groups. Mm. So it wasn't that hard for me to then leave completely because the friends that I had had become closer and then I obviously wasn't there as much. So they didn't probably include me as much as mm. I was before. But not because of them, but because I just wasn't there. Wasn't there, yeah. Mm. The first time that you were kind of noticed in the rankings of GB, mm. when was that? Oh. Yeah, when I was literally about eight. Yeah, I was very, like, very, very young. That was under 10, and then obviously I went under 10, under 12, under 14, under 16, under 18. Um, and then I was in women's open tournaments. But from, from probably the age of 12, I started doing international under 18s. Mm. So it was probably, I was, like, when I was 12, I was competing against 18-year-olds. So I think that's the difference as well as like at school you're always around people your own age mm. whereas with tennis you're always around older people mm. or younger so you kind of get to understand different life you know different ages quite quickly mm. I guess I was forced to grow up quite quickly as well mm. but yeah I think nowadays especially within younger athletes, kind of nutrition and kind of mental health within sport is spoken about a lot more. What was it like kind of being in, thrown into this? Because you, you not only were thrown into a world where there was so many hours of training mm. every single week, it was like you were having to learn to fuel your body from primary school age. You mm -hmm. know, you were having to learn to think like a competitive athlete from such a young age. Mm. What kind of did you learn and what helped you along in that sense? Um, I would say that I was quite fortunate that my mum was very much like, she recognised that I was young as well, so I had nutritionists being like, you should eat this or this or mm. this, and my mum was very much like, no, she can eat, you know, what she wants yeah. relatively, because she's only 11 years old, mm. and whereas, like, that's where the difference was as well, was a lot of players my age were eating, you know, what they were told to eat. They would only eat in certain things. and Whereas I was very lucky in the sense that my mum was very much like you eat, you know, like, like I guess, an, a normal yeah. child your age would. Um, so in that respect, I didn't have that kind of um, 
pressure. Yeah, to, to, yeah, live up to, you know, completely restricting my lifestyle. Because mm. it was pretty restricted as it was, like, you know, with my training and my competitions. Um, so the nutrition side didn't, didn't go with that, luckily. So as far as then, like, kind of building up to the number one ranking, what was kind of your moment of realising that you're really breaking into it now? It's quite difficult because, for me, it was so quick because I'd only started, like, a year before I actually became within the top ten in my age group. Mm. I don't remember... I don't remember a point where that was something I had worked to. I just almost fell there. Like, I just realised, oh, I'm actually all right at this, mm. you know? Like, it was never, like, I want to be number one in the country. It was more like, oh, I'm... I'm in a pretty fortunate position. <laughs> like, I'm all right. But um, what kind of personality traits do you think you had that helped that along? Well, I'd say some are positive and some are negative. Like, I was obviously very motivated. And I always wanted to be the best. But then I think I was also quite selfish. <laughs> so, like, I... In a way, I did think about myself a lot, which I think I, I think I've learned. Like one of the massive things from tennis that I've learned not to be now is how selfish I was because I did just think about what I was doing. I didn't think about what anyone else was doing. But my life was about my tennis. Can you give me an example? So uh, I guess because I was taken to tournaments, I was taken to training every day. I almost thought that was normal, but actually, like, my mum was sacrificing a big part of her life. And, like, my brother and sister were also sacrificing things too. Um, so I think I kind of just thought that was... The usual. Yeah, the, the usual, normal. but it actually wasn't. Like, people were really, you know, mm. putting their life on hold for me. Like, my mum definitely did that. So I think that, yeah, I, have, I had to be a bit selfish to be good. Um... But yeah, I think I was motivated, I was determined and I, I just wanted to be the best. Mm. Yeah. Coming into the whole idea of being the best, um, you got chosen to be the ball girl mm -hmm. um, for the Barclays ATP yeah, World, World Finals. World Finals. Yeah. Um, what was that like? Because not just like British tennis player, yeah. now like successful ball girl. Yeah. I think you fought off like 2,000 plus yeah. people. Yeah. That was honestly, like, I, I remember it, I was only 12, but I remember it like it was yesterday. It was probably one of the best weeks of my life. Um, it was, so I basically was with the top eight men in the world all day, every day. Um, and I think because at that age, like, that's what I was aspiring to be. Mm. There was no better place to, like, really give me that determination to do more, um to try and get to that position. So that week was incredible. And yeah, I mean like every day I was going on court and there was like, the, I don't know how many people, how many people the O2 holds, but it's a lot of people. Yeah. And I think because I was so young, I was quite na naive to that. I was mm. like, oh, you know. This is really so, cool. Yeah, I'm like, not this like, is really oh cool. God, so yeah. Yeah. Now I'd be like, <laughs> but I do remember, I, Djokovic asked me for the ball and I put my hand up to give him the ball. And the ball fell out of my hand and went backwards. And I remember, I remember that to, to this day because I just thought there is so many people watching me right now. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. As far as the the process, I'd never heard of a, a ball girl competition mm -hmm. like yeah. to get 
to do that. What was the process like in kind of trialling for it? I don't know, do you trial for it? So I had, I think I had trials at my club and there was like 100 people there and I think like three people were picked. Then I went trials regionally and there was like 200 people and like five people were picked. And then I went to trials nationally um, and there were some like big tennis names there like looking for the best ball kids. Um, And... It, like I had to, I think it helped that I was a tennis, like I was all right at tennis, you know, mm. like it helped that I had that understanding of tennis, understanding of the game. Um, but at that age, I was so, I think because I was playing tennis and I wanted to be the best, like anything like that, I was like, I want to get this, like mm. this is what I want to do. And I always had that kind of, I guess, fighting spirit to. What did they have that you doing, like sprinting and. Like yeah, reading sprinting. games and stuff. Yeah, um, like throwing the ball, catching the ball, you know, hand-eye coordination, that kind of thing. Because mm. at the end of the day, like, you are there to not, for people to not know you're there, mm. essentially. Like, you are there to be so on it that no one knows you're there. Um, so you just need to be very alert. If there were, like, three things that made a really good ball person, what would they be? Mm. I'd say you need to be quick. You need to read the game. And you kind of need to know what's going through a player's head because sometimes they don't want to be bothered. Mm. Um, so I think that actually... You is said it. that with a smile. Have you bothered a player? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, sometimes when a player's on court and they get angry, they don't, you, like, you don't go near them. Um, so, yeah, I think the fact that I played and I understood the game was a massive help in that. So that week you were with... Eight best men in the world. Mm. Um, who did you meet? I met um, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Songa. Um, I think Dimitrov was there. God, I can't even remember now. Big names. Big, big names. Big names. There was eight of them. Did they intimidate you? No, because I was this like 12-year-old and I was like... I just was so naive. <laughs> Like, now, I'd be like, oh, my God, it's, it's Novak Djokovic. But when I was 12, I was like, that's cool, it's Novak Djokovic, <laughs> you know? Like, let's go and say hi. Who was the scariest? Um, I hate to say it, but, but Nadal was the scariest for yeah. me that week. Well, it's not, it's not that they're, like, scary as a person, but, you know, no. like, a 12-year-old going up to, yeah. like, a really big tennis player. But you have to remember, like, Nadal is so focused. He he is incredibly, like, he's very superstitious. Like, he wants everything to be perfect. And so one of the things that he probably wants to be perfect is the ball kids as well. Mm. So I did find him a little bit scary. Novak Djokovic was the best. He was so funny, like, so kind, so nice. He came and played tennis with us. He pretended to be a ball kid for us playing tennis. So... He, um... So Novak Djokovic has been your ball kid yeah. whilst you've been playing tennis. Yeah. I think that's a proper claim to fame yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Nadal, mm-hmm. Djokovic, and we'll say Federer. Mm-hmm. Snog, marry, avoid. Oh, good question. Oh, it's a very good question. I'd avoid Nadal. Just because he was a bit scary. <laughs> I feel like he'd be too superstitious for me. I'm so messy. He'd be like, that's not okay. <laughs> so I'd have to avoid him. Um, I would marry Federer and I'd snog Novak. <laughs> you said Nadal was really suspicious. Superstitious, yeah. <laughs> <Not> suspicious. <laughs> superstitious. What kind of things would he do? 
Oh, his water bottles. So, like, for example, there were water bottles in the fridge. And his water bottles were in a certain position. Like, if you moved them, he'd go mad. But obviously, it's quite difficult to know which ones are his when there's, like, 100 water bottles in the fridge. Um, so, and, like, I don't think he steps on lines. I don't step on lines either. I'm a bit mm. superstitious like that. But there's things, if you watch him, like, he'll put his racket in a certain position or, I don't know... If you've really studied Nadal, there is so many things he does. And you're like, <laughs> you've really studied yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. Now, would, do you have any kind of pre-match routines? Yeah. Any rituals that you have to do before a game for, like, good luck? Yeah, so I would always have to. Um, oh, I had some weird ones, actually. But there was a song that I always used to listen to before every game, and it's called... Um, Scouting for girls. You know the one that's like, because I'm a little bit lost without you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what's it called? I don't know. I'm, I'm really bad with the yeah, music song. But I, would I know the to song that. when it plays, but yeah. I'm really bad with like the names of the music songs. I would have to listen to that before every game. <laughs> that would be a must. Um, Did you wear anything? I know some people wear like jewellery and stuff. Yeah, I think I always match the colour of my hairband with my outfit. Love that. Yeah. Small <laughs> um, things that matter. Yeah. I'd always, like, I'd always make sure the racket I was using, because I had, like, six rackets in my bag, I'd always make sure the racket that I was using was on the outside, right-hand side. So I'd always pick that one. Um, I'd never step on the lines. Like, yeah, that was a weird one. That was, that was like, three drains necessary. Yeah. <laughs> like, you do not do yeah, that. Yeah, you don't step on the lines. Um... How come we have six six rackets? Because when I played hockey, we only ever had two. Yeah, because strings break. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Fair so I mean, you just get them really strong, but if you can't, <laughs> how are you gonna break five different? Trust me, my Thank God, I've got the stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair, it was a little bit excessive, but that's what you got when you were sponsored. Like six rackets was like mm. that's how many rackets you got. I think at that age, anyway. Yeah. Speaking of sponsorship, mm. when was the first time you were sponsored, and who by? I was sponsored by Prince um, because I loved Maria Sharapova. So I was obsessed <laughs> with Maria Sharapova and I loved pink. Bear in mind, I'm seven and like I don't know anything about tennis and I've, all, I've got this sponsorship. I was like, I'll have the pink one <laughs> um, because Maria Sharapova had it. Um, so my first sponsorship was Prince and then I got a jewellery sponsor as well. Oh, nice. Did you have to like wear the jewellery whilst you were playing? Yeah, I used Did to you? wear little dangly earrings and necklace. Um, I used to wear loads of jewellery when I was playing. I loved it. That's the like, biggest no, though, when you're in PA. It's like yeah. earrings out, necklaces off. If you yeah. had a kind of ear piercing recently, you had to tape over it. Yeah. Imagine you on the pitch being on, on the telly with like tape over your ears. I know, yeah. No, no, I loved it. I had like little dangly earrings and I always used to wear like dresses, tennis dresses. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you see it all going? Mm. I'd say that was my problem. I'd say that I... Because when I started, I didn't have in my head I want to be a professional tennis player. I just was all right at it. And then like, I got spotted and that's what I went into. I think I never had that specific goal in place of what, where I wanted to go. And so I um, would say I always wanted to be at Wimbledon... I wanted to be like Maria Sharapova. Mm -hmm. like that's what I wanted to do. Um, 
But I think the problem is, unless you have a specific goal in mind and you really know that you're doing that for you, you won't, you won't get to that goal. And I think that was my problem, was that I never, I never really sat down with myself and was like, where do I want to go with this? I just kind of went through the motions and that's where I got. Um, do you wish you did? Mm, I, don't, I wouldn't say I wish I did, because I'm happy with where I'm at now. Well, I'm happy with where I'm going now. Um, but I would say that... I would say that if I could speak to my younger self, I, yeah, I would have done that, 100%. I would have, like, said to myself, am I doing this 100% for me? And where do I want to go with this? And then I think I'd have had a clearer goal in mind and I'd have probably had a more of a chance of getting to that. Were you not doing it for you? I don't know. I think, I think it's hard when you have coaches and you have so many people around you, so much pressure on you, so many people, like, you're known as a tennis player. Like, you're not known as, like, Ellie. You're known as, oh, like, how's the tennis going? There's no, like individual there it's an like an athlete I guess I think that a lot of the time you're doing things because that's what's expected of you rather than because you're like this is what I want to do and I think that's probably where I did you ever hit a breaking point where I didn't want to do it anymore mm. um I remember being like 17 and being like, I'm not normal, because <laughs> mm. I'm not at school. Like, I didn't have that, like, friendship group at school. I didn't go to parties. I didn't go... I didn't do what people my age did. And I think at that point, I was like, I just want to be a normal person and experience normal things. And luckily, like, I, I was all right in my education and, like, I thought maybe there's more more to life than playing tennis for five hours a day and competing every week um yeah I think I just wanted to be a normal person and and do what normal people did for a bit did you ever have kind of the the, the pushback because when I I remember when I was I must have been about 14 15 and I was doing hockey and rowing to a high level mm. and it got to the point where I was juggling so much and people have kind of said like you can't juggle that much and I was like yeah. I'm gonna do it anyway and one day I had hockey training. I think it was on the Sunday. I had to travel over to Cannock. And I literally just went, I'm not going, I quit. I quit really? hockey. And it's my time to focus on rowing now. Did you ever have that, like, or describe that moment, that realisation where you were like, this isn't for me anymore? I don't think I had that because I think I knew that if I did that, I would have let so many people down. So, like, so many people that had given up so much for me. To then be like, I'm not doing this anymore, would have literally... I just feel like that would have let so many people down. So I don't think I ever had that in mind. But when I got to university, I knew that I had more in me than what I was doing. Like, I knew that I had... I just knew that I, I could be good at other things. And, like, I knew that I had that, like, attitude to want to do more. And I just thought maybe this isn't the lifestyle for me. Like, it's not what it seems. You're travelling all the time. You're up at ridiculous hour to train. You're 
training five hours a day, you're going in the gym one hour a day, you're watching what you're eating when you're older, like, everything is so regimented, and I'd like to, I felt, I felt like I had, like, a personality, and I wanted to, like, Mm. show that, and when I was doing the same thing every day, I think it's hard to, to do that. Now, from all of that, what do you feel like you've taken from that that you're grateful for? Mm. And what, in your kind of upbringing, do you think is, like, a weakness? Yeah, Okay. so I'd say that I'm grateful for the fact that I know that if I want to do something, I can do it, And but I've got to work hard for it. So, like, I know that I, I understand the value of putting the effort in, and I'd say, like, that's a good thing now, going into, like, what I'm doing now. Um... And obviously, like, I'm very motivated, I'm very determined, I always want to be the best, like, I always want to do my best. Um, but I'd say my, the bad thing is that I am so hard on myself. Like, I'm so, like, I will, I'll always speak negatively about myself, not positively, because I always want to do better. Mm. And if I do badly, then I'm very hard on myself. And I think that's probably the bad thing, is that I never allowed myself to be like not great at something or I think that as well along with kind of what you were saying about like the number of people that you believe like gave things up for Mm. you the amount that your mum like drove you around and a lot of kids who get into sports really young do Mm. have that adult that like does have to sacrifice quite a lot um do you feel like it's brought people pleaser tendencies into your life now yeah 100 percent And I think that I probably do things to please others when sometimes I should put what I want to do first. Mm. And I think that that is probably one of the things that is is a negative from it as well, is that I, I, yeah, I need to... Like I said, like, when I was younger, I should have sat down and been like, what do I want to do? Do I want to do this for me? Like, and I think I need to take that into, like, what I do now because that is probably the negative is that I people please and I am hard on myself. But it's also a good thing in a way, I guess. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's yeah. like drawing the goods and the bads for Yeah. Me. So, the big one, why'd you quit? I don't... It's a really difficult question because people ask me and I make it up all the time, like, I'll just give a different reason every day. I should be like, uh, didn't like it anymore. None of that is true. I... I couldn't give you... I'd say that the reason I quit is because I knew there was more in me to do more in a different world. And it wasn't that one. Because I felt that I wasn't fulfilled by doing that. And some of my friends that play now would say... would be like, if I see them casually now, they'll be like, you should never have quit. But in my head, I'm like... I agree and I disagree, like, obviously I wasn't fulfilled by that and there's more, there's more that I can do in a different world that I still think I can achieve the same level or I can still be at, like, I always want to get to the top of something or, like, I always need to work towards something and if I don't feel that then I get very stressed out and, um, yeah, I feel like there's another world where I can do that in. What are some of the reasons that you've given in the past as to why you've quit that haven't been true? Oh, that's a good question. Um, didn't like it anymore. 
Um, I, I'd say most of the time I say like I didn't didn't enjoy it anymore. Didn't enjoy competing. Didn't like travelling. That's a load of crap. I love travelling. Um, <laughs> it's hard to answer a question that like there's so many. It's a feeling more than anything. Like it's a feeling that like this isn't this isn't going to be where I end up. Mm. And I think I'm right. I think I am right, but we'll see. What are you doing now? So now I am a ITV news trainee. So I am a production journalist, which means that I get to um, produce regional news, lunchtime bulletins, and um, find news in the area, and hopefully present one day. That's what I'd like to do, I think. Sports? Yeah, I'd like to do sports. Um, I think I'd like to do sports because I understand sports, but I also like people stories and understanding people more as well. So, yeah, I do a bit of everything at the moment, which is good. And obviously to be on the training ship's great. I may not be the best right now, but I know that I can be that. I know that I can work towards that. And I think that on that on the day of... Because there was obviously an application process, like throughout that application process, I was like... I've got nothing to lose because, you know, I've not come from this background, so I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to go for it, give everything I've got. Um, and I just thought, like, if, if I don't believe I can do it, they won't believe I can do it. So I just had to put that confidence in, in myself and hopefully they would see that too. What did you kind of learn from tennis that you feel like you've taken over to journalism? Is that where you always saw yourself going? Yeah, I think I always wanted to go into sports presenting after tennis because I thought that would be natural, like, where I could see myself going. Um, but I'd say that what I've learned is that you always need to be around people that are on the same path as you. Like, you always need to be around people that want to get better or do better or want to help other people do well as well. Because I think that's a big thing, is like you need positive people around you to, to get to where you want to go, which is why I wanted to put myself in an environment that would do that. So that's why I applied for the traineeship. But I think, yeah, the one thing about tennis is that you're always around people that want to be the best, and that makes you want to be the best. If you had a pound for every game you'd ever won, what could you buy with it? God, one year I played, one year I played like, I think more tennis matches than days in the year. And, and I think I had a, like a win rate of like 95%. <laughs> so I think I, I could probably buy a holiday or something, I don't know. Nice holiday? Nice holiday. Like a half board holiday for one or like? <laughs> All I don't inclusive. Know. I'm going to say that I prob spa probably. Spa break? No, I think I think like a nice family holiday would. Okay. Yeah. Nice family holiday. Yeah. I'd say like obviously when I was younger I won a lot. Yeah. Like that's why I got to where I got to. But um, I also don't think that winning means everything when you're younger either. No. I think that's a very like misconception. What are the do's and don'ts of an aspiring professional tennis player? I'd say don't um, don't focus on winning from such a young age because you'll there's a certain style of play that will help you win from when you're a young age and then there's a certain style of play that will help you win when you're older and you need that style of play that's going to help you win when you're older 
that means you might jeopardise winning at a younger age. I think to not focus on winning so much and to focus on getting better is probably the thing to do. And also to really talk to yourself and say, like, am I doing this for me and this, is this what I want to do? Because you're putting your whole life into it. So that's what I'd say. I love that. Come across some big names. You were coached by Judy Murray mm. and you also played, trained alongside Emma Radkani. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Yeah. Obviously, at the time, I didn't realise that it was anything massive. Obviously, now I look, I look now, like, I watched her at the US Open, and it's like, wow, like, she's doing unbelievable. And obviously, like, I must have been pretty good. Like, but I never saw that at the time. I never saw, like, oh, I was good at... I never, ever thought I was good at tennis. Like, I never thought that to myself. But, like, obviously, looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, obviously, I was decent. But when you're in it, you don't really... You don't really see it. But, yeah, like, training with Judy Murray was amazing. But, again, I was so young. I was so naive to it. I didn't... I didn't none, none of it registered back then. It was just my life. That was normal, I think. Do you feel like you appreciated it as much as you would now? No. But I think now, if I, if I did it now, like, every single second of... Like, every single second I stepped foot on court, I would make sure that I was on the ball, I was, like, giving it everything I got, because what's the point in doing it otherwise? There's no, literally no point. But I think I cruised through a lot of it. I think I, like, you know, like, I just... That was my routine. I went to training every day, I did that. But actually, when you think about it, you're working towards something, and, yeah, like, every second matters, I'd say. Would you have a coach? No, I would never coach. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> because I am um, not a very patient person. So I struggle. I struggle to... I don't think I'm a very good coach. I don't think I'm a very good coach. Like, I can't comprehend like, how to coach someone. Yeah, so I, ju I just think, say that, I wouldn't be good for your kids. <laughs> don't, don't, don't let me coach them. Don't let them near me. I, yeah. I won't do it any good. Yeah. Um, no, because I always find, someone asked me this the other day, and I said no because I get jealous of them yeah. on match days and tournament days. Yeah, because I think, like, I spent my life trying to do that. And obviously, like, I got to a certain level that was great, and at some point I went, no, this isn't for me. Then why do I want to go into that again? Like, because I've got, I've, I've literally quit because I knew that there was something in me that was, that I could put into something different, that I could go to the top of and try and do in a different area. So for me to then go back into tennis and coach someone to that level, I just, that wouldn't fulfil me, I don't think. There's lots of different issues and reasons as to why people quit. Was injury ever one of them for you? No. No, I was quite lucky, like... If I think about, like, the whole of me playing tennis, like, I didn't get, really get injured. I had a back injury. Um, but other than that, no, I was very lucky with injury. And if you had to transfer into a winter sport, what would it be? Skiing. Oh, really? Yeah. What, like, the half pipe or ski cross? Do you marathon? know, I just think, like, anyone who can ski is so cool. <laughs> I just think, like, I mean, I can ski, but I don't look good skiing. Like, it's not aesthetically pleasing. 
But when someone can ski and they look like they're literally walking, it's it's cool, like slalom. What about summer sport? What would I do? Table tennis. <laughs> I think tennis. You... I honestly think tennis is... I think tennis is a sport that can teach you a ridiculous amount unrelated to sport. Mm. Like, I have... Like, the way I am is solely because of tennis. Like, 100% down to tennis. And good and bad. But an individual sport as well can teach you, I think. Uh, team sports obviously teach you a lot, and there's a lot of, like, teamwork that goes into that and communication, and that's great. But an individual sport, like, you are on your own, and everything is down to you. So I think I wouldn't change the sport that I'd be in. I'd stick to tennis. Moving forwards... Where's yeah. Ali Rose Griffiths in four or five years' time? Four or five years' time, I would like to um, be a presenter. And I don't know 100% what area I'd like to do, but like my end goal is like I would love to do um, like life stories or documentaries or, mm. or something like that. That would be like my ideal. Maybe do Wimbledon on the way. Yeah, on the Wimble- Wimbledon <laughs> on the way. Yeah, on the like way a, of the really... Uh, just a, whatever's next. Yeah, just like a side note, yeah, I'll do Wimbledon. But yeah, like I'd really like to present because I think that there's a massive... Um, I think like presenters are a, 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 are a big impact on how things are perceived or yeah, I think they can have... make a big difference. And ask the right questions as well. Yeah, 100%. Well, we can't wait to see you making your lifetime documentaries and presenting Wimbledon. Thank you so much for joining me from the Poultry Box. No, of course, any (laughs) time. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe. Also, make sure you're following us on our socials at From the Commentary Box for behind-the-scenes clips and exclusives. Let's see who's next to tell their story from the Commentary Box.